This is 32. Yeah, 31. 31 we did last week. That's it. If I have to go to the bathroom during this one, I'm not apologizing after that. Welcome, everyone. This is Tokyo Jazz Joints Podcast. Uh, If that's not what you've tuned in for, stay anyway. It's fascinating. We're uncovering a hidden world of Japanese jazz culture uh, in bars and cafes all across the country. And this, incredibly, is our 32nd episode, episode 32. And it's the third of a three-parter, which uh, we are starting today in Kansai. And then just to suit our own narrative purposes, we are going to wind our way back via a couple of other places to Tokyo, where the project began five years ago. And the reason for that is that where we end today is where we're going to be picking up our journey in a few weeks' time, where we're going to take you with us to Hokkaido and all the way down to Kyushu and then slowly back up towards Tokyo. That's when I went back to visit Japan after having left there and been away for about a year and a half. Uh, and um, it was a pretty amazing trip, James. But not right now. We're going to focus on the more uh, pressing matters at hand. How are you this week? I'm feeling pretty darn good, buddy. Pretty good. We're uh, into November. Can you believe it that this year, this uh, fascinating, as you said earlier, about our... Well, by the way, that was a great intro. It only took you 32 episodes to really nail it. Um, but well done. Practice makes perfect. Um, but anyway, yeah, feeling good, feeling happy. Um, got a very chilled Suntory Black here uh, in my glass, so I am ready to talk some jazz. Sorry, you just cut out there for about 45 seconds. Do you, do you want to say that again? Really? <laughs> no, yeah, I, mean. I heard it all. Very okay. good. So we're going to finish up and uh, we're going to finish up our Kansai um, episodes. Now uh, we've got a kind of a mishmash of places today, uh, and let's see. I think two of them, James, you've been to, and two that you haven't. So um, all of them we went to separately, actually, and um, a kind of an interesting mixture of places. Uh, one of them we've actually referenced in a previous episode, so we may not spend too long on that one. Um, but let's kick off with prestige so prestige is one of the places that i went to on my own it was um i'd say probably a blurrier part of the evening Uh, i was with a friend uh we'd gone for a few nights um down in the kansai region uh principally i suppose for me to check out some of these places before i left japan and we were working off this list of names and prestige was one of the places that we ended up one night Uh, And as you can see from the photos, there's not a lot to say about it in terms of aesthetics. I suppose the thing that really stands out, of course, is the contrast between this claustrophobic uh, little uh, entrance to the bar itself, which, again, if you've been in Japan uh, and certainly in any urban areas, you'll not be surprised by uh, these are ten a penny, these kind of really cramped little corridors um, to take you down to these incredible places. But once you go inside, it's actually very, very, very minimalist. Uh, You can see from one of the photographs there, uh, basically one table and a sofa, (laughs) uh, a speaker and a couple of candles. And other than that, really, all uh, all there is really is the bar uh, that you can sit at. I'd say, I think, four to probably maximum five seats along that bar. Uh, And I suppose one feature of it, although it's maybe not so easy to see from this particular photograph, is you kind of look out on Kyoto 
of an evening. Um, there are vinyl. Uh, there is a vinyl collection as well. Uh, you can see there that uh, I'd asked for my old favourite Ole Coltrane to be played, which he happily obliged. But there, uh, there were uh, turntables there below the counter and uh, a, a bit of a vinyl collection as well. But very much a kind of a shop bar late at night. You could see it being used as a location for um, for for a. For a film or something like that, I think as much as anything. So perhaps not the kind of the classic jazz joint that we, uh, both of us particularly love, but uh, worthy enough, I think, uh, to be included in the project and a nice place to finish off an evening for sure. Well, there's a, there's a lot of interesting things about Prestige. Um, obviously, you mentioned the, just the the very very spare um, decor, mm. um, which is pretty much the opposite of most of the jazz places that we go, which are very lived in and cluttered. Um, but yeah, that view of Kyoto, lovely, very much late night kind of vibe. Um, you know, the last drink of the evening. Um, but I am more taken rather than the interior. I, I love the entryway and the sign. I mean. For our non-Japanese uh, reading listeners, um, so Philip, you've got a picture here on the stairwell. Obviously, that's third floor, fourth floor, fifth floor. Um, the sign to the left of the directory there is actually uh, a real estate company saying that they're looking for a tenant for that empty place on the fifth floor. So I'm very tempted yeah. to give them a call, see if it's still empty. Mm-hmm. Finally, open the OK Jazz Bar, maybe in Kyoto. But um, I love how you got on this sign, and we've mentioned this in a lot of places, um, even just recently in. Machida, when we were down in Herbie, you have a similar sign of uh, this sort of, you know, one building with like 15 different places in it. And here you can see on the fourth floor uh, next to Prestige is a snack called Ruby. Um, very interesting on the third floor, the Ambient Cafe with that font. I'm wondering if that's actually a place where they're playing stuff from like the Warp Records label, you know, mm. <laughs> or other kinds of ambient electronic music. Um, then you've got another snack on the fourth floor and, you know, a regular shot bar on the fifth floor. So all of this in this very, very rundown looking building. Um, and, you know, what struck me too was the, the actual sign here um, for Prestige. That's Eric Dolphy. And Prestige is, of course, a very famous jazz label. So I would have thought going in that we would have, you would have seen a much more of the old style jazz kisaten uh, yeah. sort of, you know, atmosphere and not this very sleek looking uh, place. Like, as you mentioned, would be like, you know, the scene in a Japanese TV drama where they go for a drink and a view of Kyoto. Yeah, I mean, I, I suspect from it being started in uh, 1996 that probably at the time it was like the cutting edge. I'm sure it looked so uh, avant-garde, being so sparse and so uh, pared down. But um, And it doesn't necessarily look aged now, but uh, I know what you mean. Yeah, great sign. Um, as you can see there, of course, um, uh, the famous Eric Dolphy quote uh, in English there. And just below it in Japanese, Jazz Nishimasenka, which of course translates uh, roughly and approximately as, won't you do jazz? Um, uh, a good question, <laughs> yes, I please. think. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yes, would be the answer. <laughs> yes, please. Um, so... And it is definitely collected to the um, to the label because you can see, of course, from the door, it, it not only has the name Prestige, but it's got that famous logo of the record label you mentioned. So there is that connection, but uh, it, it was a it was a interesting place, I think, to go. Um, and uh, it's probably, I suppose, one of the most challenging places in some ways to have photographed because it was incredibly dark. First of all. Uh, but as much as anything, it, there just really wasn't anything to photograph. I mean, you could look at that photograph mm. of the table and the 
and the sofa and really i mean it could be just anyone's living room essentially so yeah there wasn't a whole lot to capture um from a photographic point of view but certainly if you're in kyoto and you just don't quite want to go back to your um to your hotel uh it's definitely a good place to stop off for for a final drink of an evening i think well, it's certainly uh, leading into our next joint, um, which is, I would say, the polar opposite in terms of um, interior decor and things to photograph. So we're heading over to a street in Kyoto called Pontocho, which uh, some tourists, if you've been to Kyoto, you certainly walked down this little uh, lane. Um, we call it a lane. It's almost really an alleyway. Your first picture here for the place called Hello Dolly. So as always, check out the Tokyo Jazz Joints webpage. Go to uh, look for Hello Dolly. And the first picture here, this is Pantocho. This is a very famous street in Kyoto that runs um, next to the river. And on each side of the street, um, there are just, you know, one after the other places to eat and drink. And uh, you've got a nice, uh, good timing there capturing the couple with their umbrella wearing their yukatas as they stroll down the lane. Um, I don't know how you managed to do that without the 10,000 tourists that are usually on Pontocho, uh, but but well done there. Um, and, and hello, Dolly. I mean, what, what, what did you think when you went in for the first time? Well, I, I have this strange sentimental connection to to hello dolly actually because i'm fairly sure as i think back uh, i haven't undergone hypnotism or anything quite as dr dr drastic as that but i do have a very strong sense that hello dolly is where the idea for this project was born and actually i had been to it uh, on a separate trip um it must have been around 2014 i'd stumbled on it by accident gone in there uh, for a drink one evening before going for dinner and I think it was in there at that point that the sort of seed of this project was born. I don't have any way of confirming it, but I'm almost mm. certain uh, that's where it all started. And so the photographs you see here, obviously, are taken after the project had begun. Mm. When I first went into it, I mean, I think uh, the, just the the incredible sort of style uh, of the interior and I mean mm. it, it's like stepping into a different decade in, in a different country and I oh, think probably that's it's like what a, like a saloon I mean it's yeah. uh, it feels like you're in the 1930s somewhere yeah. in the US like in New York you know and and I mean even the, the the care even before you walk in I mean you know hello Dolly you know not just the sign but look at that he's got the the Barbara Streisand uh, silhouette there you know from the movie or you yeah. know with, with the hat and and then that long entryway as you go in with the wood um uh, the the light fixtures everything looks so perfectly put together and and so um so of a certain era it's just it's completely beautiful but it's also completely incongruous to the rest of kyoto yeah and i think that's what i think that's what kind of put the idea in my head you know i i think just looking at this place i thought this is so incredibly unique and I thought, you know, it would be interesting to to photograph these places and, and probably that lay dormant for a few months. And then I think it was it was around, you know, maybe the end of that year that I came across this idea of contacting you. And and, um, and then I suppose the rest is history. And we've documented that, you know, at length mm. in other episodes. But I think for me, Hello Dolly will always have that special place in the project, not, not least because of its interior and, and the sort of 
the beautiful decor, but but also just the fact that it really was was the inspiration for the whole project. I think on this particular day that you're mentioning, it was the rainy season, um, and we had passed by, and I think it was closed. And again, I was on a schedule. We were heading back to the station to to get a Shinkansen back up to Tokyo, and I think I called them and asked them if it would be okay because the timings didn't quite work. So. I think had I waited until they'd opened, I would have missed out the opportunity to, to get in and photograph. And so they very kindly um, allowed us to come sort of 45 minutes early. So that's why in the photographs, you can see no one there. And probably also maybe a combination of the time of day and the weather mm. is probably why that particular alleyway, as you say, is usually teeming with tourists with phones taking pictures and uh, is pretty much empty. But uh, yeah, a, a lucky... Lucky coincidence in terms of the yeah, weather and timing. I, I popped into uh, Hello Dolly, I think, on my second visit to Kyoto many, many years ago when I first came to Japan. Because, I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you already understand what my priorities are when I'm traveling. And so, you know, uh, doing the tourist stroll uh, through Pontocho, the last thing I expected was to see, you know, a, a jazz bar. So obviously I popped in. Um, yeah, playing a bit too much vocal music for my taste. But uh, other than that, um, an absolutely wonderful spot. And I remember thinking that, yeah, if you've got that window seat there, you could easily, easily while away four or five hours and just uh, spend your evening there having a, having some whiskeys and uh, you know watching uh, watching the river and, and looking out and onto Kyoto. It's it's an absolutely wonderful place, and um, it does still strike me as very you know very strange that it's in the middle of this very old neighborhood because there's no other music bars on Pontocho, which is fairly long, I think there's at least about 60 uh, total establishments on, on the road, you know, uh, from one end to the other. Um, but in any case, it is kind of a landmark. And anytime you mention Kyoto um, and, and jazz comes up, people will tell you, oh, well, you've got to go down there and, and have a bourbon or whiskey and and, sit, and get that window seat. So yeah. as you said, it if you're a tourist, you want to drop by there for at least one drink. Absolutely. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm still reeling from the uh, breaking news that you strolled anywhere. Um, but anyway, we can cover that uh, once we we stop recording. Um, uh, that's a that that's yeah that's for the uh, that's for the outtakes episode that we we are planning. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on from Hello Dolly, and, and we're jumping all over the place, um, both in time periods uh, and times of day as well. But uh, and just before we leave, um, before we leave Kyoto. Uh, just bringing us right back to where we started in Prestige. Quick shout out to Dan, who's been uh, chatting back and forth with us on Instagram. Uh, he's based in Tokyo. He headed down to Kyoto and Osaka, was looking for a couple of recommendations. And uh, lucky so-and-so, he managed to get into a place called Roku Denashi, which is, I think, certainly, if not in the same building as Prestige, in the same area. Unfortunately, when I went to photograph it, I wasn't able to get in because of the opening hours. He made it in, and I tell you, James, it looks very much like our kind of place. Uh, he goes by ECM underscore jazz on Instagram. I think uh, his goal, uh, hopefully not life goal, but certainly goal in the short term is to listen to the whole ECM catalog chronologically. So clearly a lot of time on his hands. Uh, but James, who are we to cast aspersions on how people spend their time? The next place we're going to go is um, in Osaka, right? That is correct. In Osaka, yeah. in very, very deep Osaka. And um, it's an absolute gem of a spot um, called 
Nancy, or as some might have thought sunny, because there's a little confusion. There's one sign that says sunny, but all the other signs and the website say Nancy. Um, again, we went there separately. I first went there many, many years ago um, on our previous Osaka episode. If you listen to that, um, you remember um, I said that I, I went down to the Kansai region, Osaka and Kyoto, quite often several years ago for work and family reasons. So um, I actually was transferring at the station where Nancy is, it's Kyobashi Station on the north side of Osaka. And um, how would you describe that neighborhood, Philip? I, I, I would say for our American listeners, um, think 1975 Times Square, taxi driver era Times Square, maybe maybe that kind of captures it. I mean, I'd say it's gritty. I, I don't know if I'd go as far as as 1975 New York, which, you know, famously had a, an incredibly high murder rate, which you definitely would be <laughs> less at risk of uh, walking through the back streets of Osaka. But it definitely has that gritty um, sort of urban feel to it. And, you know, pretty much anywhere you walk around in Japan, as we've mentioned previously, you know, you're safe enough. Um, uh, the, that may be slightly different, of course, for women, but certainly as a man, generally speaking, um, you're unlikely to run into too much kind of trouble. Um, and it, it is overall, uh, Japan, a very, very safe place in which to live and travel. Uh, but certainly there are there are areas that you might, you know, having been raised on, on different TV programs and films, or indeed based on where you're from yourself, uh, if you were in these kind of areas of a city like Osaka or Tokyo, you might think, oh, I need to just watch myself here. Um, and that's exactly where Nancy is. And for me, the confusion with the name was, that, you know, as you say, it is called Nancy. But as you can see in one of the photographs, it's also uh, had the um, letters re-scrambled uh, to spell Sonny, which, of course, is for Sonny Rollins, who you can see hanging in caricature form just to the left of the door. Uh, and it's it just seems a really odd name. I, I thought at the time it was a strange name, Nancy. Um, it makes more sense that it is an anagram, but not even sort of a backwards reading of it, just a, just a literal anagram of Sonny, which yes. I always thought was a bit odd. But this place, too, was, was very small. Um, as you can see, most of the seating area for uh, customers is taken up with records, uh, a selection of fans, some sort of robot waiter there. Uh, and a couple of cats. Uh, probably one of the main draws, I think, for this place is, is this incredible uh, Paragon sound system here, which, of course, we, we encountered ourselves uh, in a later trip down to Kyushu, which we're going to be talking about in a few weeks' time. But um, again, it was a late night when we got there, uh, fairly far from the station, I think, round this little back alleyway next to the train station. And we went in for a couple of drinks. Owner was absolutely uh, delightful, chatted away to us, uh, was very bemused by the whole uh, fact that we were even there in the first place. Uh, and uh, I'm glad I got to, to, to catch Nancy. Well, um, how do you feel about another edition of Breaking News? Uh I mean, fine. You, I feel like you're going to do it anyway, so just... I'm definitely going to do it anyway, so don't edit it out. Um, solve the mystery of the names. Um, I found a, a different blog. Um, I think we've mentioned before that sometimes these websites that the, that the cafes and bars have, they can be very comprehensive, and sometimes they might start and they'll run it, and then they just forget about it and won't update it for years and years. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be the case here with Nancy, uh, which uh, in its original incarnation was called Jazz Kisaten Sunny ah. un until... Um, it was uh, basically the B 
building was sort of uh, the building was sort of it wasn't torn down, uh, but it was you know redone, renovated, and they had to gut it all. And uh, so he, while he was closed, he reopened again in 2011 and changed the name. Doesn't explain why he bothered to change the name, even though it's in the same location. But hey, what are you going to do? We solved the mystery. Uh, so you know that was it. So it was called Jazz Kisaten Sunny, and that must be you know obviously the sign. Uh, from the original joint. And now it does make a little more sense because, and I think you kind of captured that a little bit in one of the pictures, it, it doesn't look very old inside. You know, I mean, you can see it's kind of been, it's got that Japanese sort of remodel type of like door and light switch and like wallpaper um, that most of the Kisitens that we go to do not have. So you that wouldn't... was in 2011. You wouldn't be surprised uh, if, if you just went in there and it was actually just a house. I mean, it's really got... Mm that one room sort of feel to you know with the exception maybe of the of the counter bar i also love on the sign that it has this variation we've seen many of these coffee jazz coffee booze i love the variation which is uh, i think the only place we've ever seen tea and spirits advertised yeah, yeah. <laughs> sir. It's certainly the only place we've ever seen spirits. Um, I might have seen tea a couple of times but yeah definitely spirits that's well you know i mean it is interesting though because these, as we've talked about, you know, the whole jazz kisaten um, culture, it's uniquely Japanese, but it's it's often very much, uh, you know, the the stuff you see inside is very American, Americana. They've got a lot of memorabilia. Obviously, jazz comes from America. And spirits is not really a word that we use for liquor very often in the States. You know, that's definitely something you hear more in Britain or in Ireland, I would guess. Uh, so yeah. I'm not sure. And and the, the tea as well. It's almost always coffee rather than tea. Although tea is the, the proper translation of kisaten. But yeah, in f- for many, many reasons, that sign is is just great. Um, but yeah, this is a really, it's a really fantastic spot. And I'm glad to see that he's, maybe he's not updating it very often, but he does have a website. So um, if you are in Osaka, well worth going by. And it's only a couple minutes walk from Kyobashi. And uh, yeah, I might... I, I maybe exaggerated a bit too much. Okay, it's not like Taxi Driver, but it's definitely one of the grittier neighborhoods uh, in all of Japan. Uh, yeah. So, you know, just be careful at nighttime when you're walking around there. Um, we've referenced the sound systems previously, of course, um, and uh, also referenced the fact that by no means are we experts on these things. But uh, just having a little dig around there uh, for this, it is it is the Paragon sound system. Uh, it's obviously made by JBL. Uh, and there's one there. Uh, it may not be the exact same model, but it looks uh, almost identical, going for a cool $45,000 on eBay. Mm. So that just gives you some indication. And, and perhaps we haven't mentioned it quite as often. It's just the incredible amount of money, particularly at the time, uh, that went into investment uh, in these sound systems and turntables and things that we find. A pretty common place, to be honest, uh, in a lot of the jazz places that we go, but by no means are the prices uh, and the value of them commonplace at all. No, no, not at all. And I think that um, Nancy, I can't remember the guy's name now. I, I don't know if you had a chance to chat with him much because uh, there were a couple of other customers in there the time that I went. And, and I that was years before I was really, you know, trying to be very, you know, gaijin noisy and <laughs> interrupt people's conversations so i could do my interviews um but i got the feeling that it was a place that a lot of the kansai jazz folks used to come to hang out just because okay. of the speakers you know it was one yeah. of those places that very very small but kind of well known in the community so we're going to stay well actually we're not going to stay we're going to head back to kyoto which you know thinking about it now would have made more sense <laughs> if we'd done <laughs> kyoto together but i did also 
stumble on this place and I this was a place I was not aware of it certainly wasn't on my radar and just wandering through those as you said fairly tourist uh, laden streets of Kyoto I stumbled on this place called Majorica um, and it's no reference to the Spanish island. Uh, Majo in, in Japanese is uh, witch, and you can see just about make out on the sign, which has definitely seen better days since 1974. Mm. Uh, there is a kind of a silhouette or a little uh, illustration of a witch on there, and that's what the name's about. And this place, James, was insane. Like, it was, as you can see from the pictures insane inside mm. i think probably of all the places we've been definitely the number one health and safety risk <laughs> and that's saying something because i, mean, I would say 80 percent of the places we've been to would not pass their fire ex- inspections outside well, we've been Japan, in a place where but, a man uh, was a man was heating the building with a, a pot of water and a gas stove so that <laughs> yes. kind of gives you some idea of just this place was laden with stuff oh, i mean the, it was the clutter in here unbelievable. is just is is just remarkable i mean like you, you the picture you have of the owner in here like why does he have like this big stack of magazines right there on the bar is that is it just like for people to browse or is he just you know usually they're 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 kept in a cabinet of somewhat but there's literally no space on the bar to even put your drink it's unbelievable it's very hard to know and you'll see there um my companion had had enough clearly so that's uh, <laughs> my good friend tom there having a catching 40 winks at the counter the little plates I'm, there i'm so happy to see that good on for you tom man like he's taken my role perfectly because we already discussed how that's usually my posture at the end of the night <laughs> he so, slipped straight he slipped straight into that role it was like he you, was born you, for it look at you it you had no yeah you had no troubles replacing me i'm happy to see that but i mean those plates there um i was chatting with him earlier actually uh, and those plates there are not ours those were just there from the previous customers <laughs> Um, there was no hurry to clean those up. And, the ginger uh, ale looks like it's open as well. Those three bottles right there, they look like they've already been opened. There's no I mean, I on. just don't know where to even start. I mean, the, the photograph uh, of the owner, you know, if you look at the, the stuff around him, I mean, that cabinet, for example, to the left-hand side of his head with the, the Marilyn Monroe Andy Warhol postcard on it. I mean, you can only imagine if you were to open that. And also, I think uh, what was re- really interesting too, uh, apart from all the anime characters to his right, is that you can see, and we've mentioned this quite a few times now, James, um, a, a sort of a makeshift collection of cigarettes there for sale um, just below oh, that's, the cabinet. That's, that's fantastic. That, I, I would have thought those were just ones that people left behind. So those, so you just buy like one pack there. It's like, oh no, I've got Marlboros and I've got Mile 7. Yeah, you've just got to time okay. it right. I, I'm pretty sure in between the packet of Lark and Marlboro, those are two, chin, those are two tins of tuna. Don't they look like the tins that you get tuna in in Japan? Uh, I prefer not to think about those. Those are definitely um, not packets of cigarettes. And above that, we, we've mentioned this a few times, but you can see there uh, the keep bottle system. So that gives you some idea. If you want to buy a bottle of brandy, uh, Suntory brandy, it's going to cost you 7000 up front. And then, of course, each time you come back, you can just drink from your own bottle. It'll have your name on it. And as we've mentioned as well, it'll stay there for, in some cases, years, if not decades, uh, until you come back to claim it. So it, this place was just, I mean, there was no one in here. Um, he was sitting by himself. It was like, you know, 
to step off those kind of touristy mm. uh, traditional Japanese streets of Kyoto and into this place was literally, I mean, it's a cliche, but it was literally like walking into another world and you could barely <laughs> turn around for fear of like knocking something over or standing Philip, I, on something. I don't know if we've done this before when we, when we had, I don't think we did uh, our, when we started uh, very early in the podcast, episode three or f- two or three, where we talked about what is a jazz kisaten. I don't think we got too deep into the physical space and we certainly didn't talk about how many, many times the owner will have one chair, might be behind the counter, might be off in a corner somewhere, which is sort of their home station. Um, Some of them might have a laptop there, uh, or it might be like the guy in Count in Sendai who we talked about who just drinks his whiskey and smokes all day until he gets up to change the record. But they'll sort of have like a little home base somewhere in the cafe. And this one just looks like, I mean, how does he even get into the back there where the storage is? You know, it doesn't look like there's any space to maneuver at all. So he's just basically sitting there waiting for people to come in. And uh, then he'll just go in behind, jump behind the counter and make you a drink. Yeah, I think it was the, I, I think it was the opposite way around. I think maybe he was there. I actually don't remember now, but I, I think, yeah, I mean, first of all, it's it's a long trip from behind the bar to the other side. That That's one thing. I mean, you know, you've got to really negotiate that very carefully. Uh, I think he was sitting at the bar here after he'd served us. So I think basically mm. he'd served us and then he'd, he'd come out from that far end and sat down there and he was just, uh, he was just chilling. Uh, and we were sort of sat two seats down or at least... I was sat there. I think Tom was still asleep. But um, uh, so, yeah, it, it 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 was so cramped. And, you know, you, you genuinely, and I mean, I know we joke about it, but actually, you know, Japan is the most earthquake-prone country in the world. And honestly, any kind of scale of earthquake, um, even a, a sort of a large tremor, would just bring, I think, this place crashing to the ground. I mean, it's so precariously balanced. There's so much glass and paper in it. That you know, between earthquake and fire, it, it's astonishing that it survived. I mean, since pa- paper that is that is just decades dry, right? So I mean, it would yep. burn up instantly. Um, two more quick questions then about this. Jo- I can't believe that I missed going to uh, to, to Majorca on my trips to Kyoto. I'm kicking myself. But um, the first was, um, did he say anything about like customers who come in regularly because of all the bo- of all the bottle keeps, obviously? But I don't know if he did he go into like yeah most of my you know they're neighborhood people or the jazz people i'm assuming he doesn't get tourists um i i don't remember exactly i think probably he does get he he did mention something i think about people sort of stumbling in you know um and i would i would say it's inevitable in that area you're going to get people coming in um mm. You know who are who are non-Japanese uh, are on holiday down in Kyoto, which, as we said, is you know one of the most popular places to go outside Tokyo. But um, we didn't talk too much about that in particular. Mm. I, I got the impression that this place was less of a regular haunt and more of a you know um, people stopping in for a drink, you know, but mm. not necessarily a, as regulars, you know, because again, it's it's probably I suppose in an area that's more of an entertainment area anyway, rather than than a local, you know, right. place or, or certainly a residential area like some of the other places maybe that Which would seen. have looked very, very different, you know, 30 to 40 years yeah. ago before yeah. the before the tourist boom of Kyoto in the yeah. last 15 to 20 years. I mean, Kyoto, I think, is 
third uh, behind Paris and New York in, in terms of the numbers of uh, visitors, most most visited cities in the world. Okay. So you can imagine, and and you know it's it, it's spread out, but it's by no means a gigantic city. So when you've got 10 million plus tourists, you know, traipsing through per year, it, it does tend to get very congested. Uh, my second question, back to the portrait of the owner uh, behind the counter is, um, so did you or did you not try the trail mix uh, in the jar there next to the ginger ale and the vodka? Look, listen, I, if I'm given nuts, I eat them. <laughs> it's like an addiction. I can't, I can eat them with a spoon. So to be perfectly honest, you know, whatever he gave me, I probably ate it. And again, it was it was a it was definitely later in the evening, as you can see from Tom. So uh, yeah. there's no there's no doubt about it that uh, I probably scoffed whatever he gave us. It it just seems it just seems more precarious that uh, that that you could really you know <laughs> really digest that <laughs> at the end of the evening rather than the beginning. But uh, yes, it's always I, a good time for a, a little uh, bowl of nuts. But I, I think you know it, this place kind of sums up that sort of irony that like you said you know 30 years ago there wouldn't have been this scale of tourism in, in somewhere like kyoto and you know ironically probably had it not been for that tourism somewhere mm. like majorica probably certainly could have folded as a business having said that of course you know if it's tourism that allows places like Majorica and other 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 joints that we've mentioned in places like Golden Guy and so on, for example, in Shinjuku, if it's tourism that allows them to continue functioning as businesses, that's, of course, fantastic. But I suppose what it also does is, in some ways, you know, fundamentally will change the character of the places. Um Certainly, well, certainly, as we I mean, know it, them, you you in, in in the picture you have of Majorica of the sign outside on the, on the street. Um, so you see a couple Japanese uh, couples there on the left, some people at the end of the road. Um, having been to Kyoto many many times, um, now I have no idea if these people are locals or not. But the fact is, is that um, when we say tourists, we don't just mean foreign tourists either. I mean Japanese tourists too. Yeah. Um, you run into, you know, I, I mean, you can always tell they've got the guidebooks. They have a different accent. They're just as kind of lost as you might be looking for this or that, taking pictures. Um, so it is a kind of a, it's a tough question because, yeah, I know having talked to some of the locals there, they get, you know, they're getting very frustrated because it was just pre-COVID. It was so overcrowded. On the other hand, um, yes, shops like this could have disappeared years ago without that money. So, I mean, I don't know. That's a question we can't answer on this podcast. But certainly, um, ha being here in Japan now, I know someone who was down in Kyoto last month. And they said it was unbelievable because you could walk in some of the most famous spots and see the changing of the leaves. And there was just nobody around. And he said that he hadn't seen Kyoto like that since he was a child 40 years ago. That's and amazing, it made me want it? to jump on the train and go down, man, because I, I haven't been for a few years. The last time I was there, I found it very unpleasant. It was just too crowded, you know? Yeah, I mean, apart from even the, the boom in tourism uh, from overseas, and I suppose particularly from China, mainland China, is that, you know, even before that, it was the go-to place for the um, school trip that a lot of Japanese kids take at the end of junior high. So oh, not sure. only is it, would it be regular tourists, you, you see absolute droves and droves of junior high school students uh, for their, there for two or three days and they do various activities. They go to all the, the tourist hotspots. They often, as part of their English uh, language curriculum, they have to go and interview a, a foreigner in, in quotation marks. 
and, and use their English on someone uh, or on, on a native speaker or what they perceive at least to be a native speaker from how they look. And, and uh, you know, those so, poor children when they come up and talk to you, I feel so bad for them. They're going to be just completely shoot their confidence that's down it. Well, after not, I mean, not the irony understanding is, of course, you. The irony is, of course, I was actually there uh, on two occasions with that group of kids because I was teaching them rather than being the one that was uh, <laughs> one that was being uh, asked for an interview. But yeah, I mean, it, it, so there is that element of of that uh, in Kyoto as it is. And then, of course, on top of that, you have this. I noticed there was a story there recently, uh, again, just to indicate the scale of tourism that uh, if you go to Nara in particular, it's very famous for um, some of the temples, but also there's a lot of wild deer roaming around outside oh, uh, the temples. And of course, they've got used to human contact now. They're used to being fed by humans. And, and uh, one of the big trades there is selling these cookies for for the deer, but unfortunately they've been eating the plastic that they come in as well. So Japanese being as ingenious as ever, as ever, they've developed uh, some sort of packaging now that the deer can eat as well, made from, I think, rice paper or something like that. So it just shows you like the scale of um, tourism that has increased in Japan. And I was saying to someone the other day, just talking about living in Japan, you know, I think when, certainly when I first went out there in 1997, it was Still, I think quite unusual. You know, if you said to someone, "Oh, I live in Japan," or "I'm working in Japan," you know, there was you would have got a raised eyebrow. But it seems increasingly, over the last twenty years, you know, when you mention that you lived in Japan or you worked in Japan to someone, it's usually met with either "Oh, I've been there and visited it," or "Oh yeah, I'm oh, planning yeah, for to go." Sure. Right? So yeah, it's definitely. Well, I mean, you know, before we move on to our next uh, joint, which is most certainly not one visited by tourists, but um, along those lines, yeah, when I came to also in '97, I remember going to the city office to register to get my foreigner's registration card, and they didn't have anyone who could speak English, and this was Tokyo, you yeah. know. And yeah. that was only 1997. Now you go and they've got somebody speaking Chinese, someone speaking Korean, someone speaking Spanish, Portuguese, and of course, English. And that's all in the span of 20 years. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's definitely been noticeably changed. Um, okay, Philip, now with all that tourist talk, we are heading north. We're coming back home towards the Kanto region, which is where Tokyo and Yokohama are located. And on the way, uh, we're stopping off in a seaside town called Atami. And I don't know what the equivalent would be in Ireland or for our British listeners, but for Americans, um, think of Atami, a seaside town that boomed in the post-war period where people would go on weekend holidays or on their honeymoons, uh, but maybe has seen better days. Maybe Niagara Falls in the States, uh, Atlantic City, perhaps. Um, don't know, because I think Niagara Falls, uh, it was always that sort of place that you came for the, and people still go regardless for the, for the waterfall. I think if if it was Tony might correct me here, but maybe somewhere like Hastings might have been like that. Certainly places like possibly Bournemouth, maybe, or Skegness, maybe these kind of English, you know, where I suppose 50, 60 years ago, it would have been a big deal to go there uh, for your holiday. I know Newcastle, uh, not Newcastle upon time, but Newcastle in Northern Ireland was a place like that. Uh, that my dad used to go, and uh, you mm -hmm. know, it was a big trip mm -hmm. from Belfast. You took the train, and it was a whole yeah, thing. Yeah, course... yeah. Well, before people could fly, yeah. you know, easily. I mean, New York, where, where I'm from on the east coast of the states, the, the entire eastern seaboard is covered in these towns. Where yeah. People would drive in the summertime, and they used to be really booming. And now, when you go by there, you're just like, oh my god, this is grim, you know. Yeah. So Atami, uh, which is only about an hour south of Tokyo, is is a town like that. It is famous for its hot springs. So there are onsen, Japanese hot springs, uh, hotel 
hotels and bathhouses everywhere in the town. But it seems frozen in time. It literally looks like it's still 1975. Yeah, definitely. And um, I remember the last time I was there, and again, I'm kicking myself because I did not do my research. It was a family trip, so I guess I wasn't, you know, expecting to sneak off that weekend. But I did not know about our next uh, jazz spot, which is called Yushima. Now, you went there. I think you drove there with, uh, were you with Sarah or were you on your own when you went there? Yeah, I was, uh, we were going somewhere else, I think, and we stopped mm. off here. I had um, found this place just as, as always, you know, when you're heading out of the city, you think, right, is there somewhere that I can take in on the way? And and this this place came up uh, on the map. And so we stopped in Atami. This was after we'd been to, I think, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it was basically what they were billing as a sort of a sex museum in Atami. And again, just to contextualize these kind of places, you know, if you if you haven't been in Japan, particularly in the heyday of the big uh, Japanese companies, they would have, I suppose in many cases, insisted that their employees all went on these big team building trips. And this was certainly one of these places that they would have sent them. So there would have been huge uh, tourist hotels to cater for these big uh, groups or parties of employees. And there was definitely that kind of, oh, we're at the seaside, oh, it's a bit naughty. And and these kind of uh, museums were quite common, I'm, I'm led to believe. Um, there's a couple of people that have gone about collecting a lot of the artifacts from them and, and photographing them in the past before they disappeared. But the one in Atami is still going strong. And it's definitely uh, it's definitely worth a visit if, if you're interested. So that was off the back of that particular museum that we turned up uh, to this place. And I mean, what a contrast. Uh, as you can see from the the sign outside, it was it was pretty quiet around that area. Obviously, uh, mostly evening bars and, and shops there. Uh, it's billed as a modern jazz stereophonic tea room, which uh, I mean, look at look at that sign, man! Isn't it gorgeous? Stereophonic, I mean, uh, just unbelievable, just beautiful. Uh, so yeah, this place was uh, a real find. I mean, you can see from the inside, beautifully, beautifully maintained uh, by this um, owner, this lovely old lady. Uh, I don't remember her name actually unfortunately i didn't make a note of it but she was very very hospitable i think unfortunately uh, and i know certainly since i took these photographs we had speculated on whether or not uh yushima had actually closed it seems that it hasn't yet but certainly at the time when i was speaking to this lady it became very apparent from our conversations that um she was starting to struggle a little bit mentally. She repeated quite a few things uh, that she had already told us. She was very, very concerned uh, about road safety and how we would get to where we were going by road and to make sure that we were safe. But you can see inside, I mean, it just, it's a museum. I mean, they have these gorgeous images um, trapped under glass on the counter. It has the old Showa pink uh, um, telephone that we've mentioned uh, before previously. Always, always love the payphones. It's yes, even got this updated uh, menu of, of new <laughs> records. Now, how recently that's been updated, I do not know, but, you know, handwritten uh, menu mm. of, of the latest um, uh, albums that they've got. Which is unusual. I mean, the fact that the place, when you look at it, because right next to that, you see all the old flyers and tickets yeah. from these gigs of, you know, 30, 40 years ago, but but the lady is still checking out some contemporary oh, yeah, music and yeah. contemporary releases. Um, yeah, so I spoke um, to, uh, and we will get into this on a later episode uh, in, in more in-depthly, in-depth, but I spoke to uh, the editor and writer of the Japanese guidebook to jazz cafes. It's called uh, 
it's called uh, Nihon Jazz Chizu, uh, you know, Japan Jazz Map. So I met with them pretty recently, and we were talking about some things. And um, I mentioned Yushima because, you know, we were talking about places that I, I had a feeling were going to be closing. Because, as you said, the owner is getting older, maybe not in the best of health. And they said, oh, you know, we were down there a couple months ago, and she was in pretty good condition. So right? I think it, great you know, it's going to be staying open. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, I think with the, a couple different places, um that we've been, you know, sometimes uh, the owners, we might catch them on a good day or a bad day. I mean, these are people who are, you know, clearly in their, sometimes in their 80s, you know, and they're still running a business daily. So it's got to be very difficult. And like you said about, you know, repeating stuff. And uh, I mean, Jesus, Philip, we already do that. So imagine say, I mean, 30, if, 35 if, years, if, you know. If, if that's the bar, then, you know, possibly uh, <laughs> we're, we're definitely throwing stones in a glass house. But I mean, it's probably the best collection of, of ticket stubs we've seen. You know, oh, some yeah, of them are in English, that. so you I can mean, decode them yourselves. We've got Al Giro, uh, we've got Count Basie, Oscar Peterson, McCoy Tyner, Elvin Jones, Jazz. Machine, Benny Carter, uh, Carmen McRae, there's a CTI tour, there's Miles Davis, of course. And, you know, these are just. I'm interested in that Oryx Jazz Festival because yeah, yeah. uh, I, I don't know. Is, is, was or Oryx has the sound of being like a kind of an audio related company, it doesn't does, it? So, yeah. It, uh, maybe like it was a local. It says that that was at Yokohama Stadium. Okay. Um, so a, a 2 p.m. start, uh, the Oryx Jazz Festival. So that's one that we'll have to send around to some of the old timers to see if they remember that. Yeah, I mean, this place, I just thought, we, we. I mean, I'm a big collector of masks as well. Uh, and so there were some great masks hanging around. And of course, then, uh, how can we not mention this signed photograph of Sonny Rollins, just casually, oh. or Nancy, oh. or Nancy Rollins, if you prefer, <laughs> but um, just hanging, uh, just sitting very casually here on the shelf. Uh, beside yeah. this paper mache mask. I mean, it just was an astonishing place. And this uh, lady owner, um, we must get her name. She was absolutely delightful, you know, just really happy that we were there. And you can just see, even despite her age and everything else, look how meticulously like the CDs are filed behind her mm, and mm -hmm. just how beautifully kept this place is. And the way that they had stickered over the window um, with some of these old travel stickers and so on, just lent it this beautiful kind of yellow, warm light. Um, it was just gorgeous. Mysteriously as well, some of those stickers say, uh, I love Torremolinos, I love Barcelona, I love Venice, and so on. So I don't know what the yeah. story behind those words. Perhaps she was a traveler. Um, I think one even says Cairo as well, possibly. But um, well, you know, I mean, look, this is just speculation. But you know, like we were saying, a town like Atami um, was really did boom for yeah, quite a few yeah. decades. And you know, we don't know her other story. Does she have another business? That her maybe she has a husband out of the business? You know, and this was their side one. The money, Japan was very wealthy. Everybody, even people running shops like this, were making some money back in the bubble mm -hmm. years mm -hmm. after the war. So it, it, it's very likely that, you know, she may have taken those trips and, yeah. and brought those yeah, back yeah, as souvenirs. True. So, man, I, I feel like jumping on the train next weekend going down to Atami. I mean, that's not very far from my place. Don't do <laughs> I mean, it. this is just. This is just, this is just fantastic. Wow. So we're kind of winding our way back, as we said, and uh, we're down in Atami, uh, down in the sort of southern um, peninsula below uh, Tokyo and Yokohama. And so we're going to jump back up towards the city where we're going to finish up today. Um, and the place that we're going to visit is um, Buhlmann's, Cafe Buhlmann's. Now, if I'm not mistaken, James, that's in Seiju Gakuen Mai, which is a fairly... 
affluent, uh, I suppose, suburb of Tokyo, isn't it? Um, quite residential, but with a lot of fairly stylish shops and cafes and so on. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, it's extremely wealthy. One of the wealthiest uh, neighborhoods in Tokyo. It's maybe about mm, twenty five minutes on the train from Shinjuku West. Um, politicians live there. Um, if you're a fan of Japanese movies, you'll know, of course, Toshiro Mifune, the great actor. Um, his house uh, is still there. His daughter had owned it for a while before they went bankrupt. So, but uh, of course, I went to take a picture there, being a film buff. Um, so it's that kind of area. And Buhlmann's is really interesting for a number of reasons. Um, it had a previous incarnation as a sort of tea and cake salon where a lot of the rich uh, neighborhood uh, ladies and, and retired gentlemen would come in the afternoons for their cake and classical music. As you can see from the picture, very sort of European uh, type of feel to it with the curtains and the chandelier. And... Uh, over time, and this goes back uh, a little bit to maybe about 10 years ago, uh, the owner, the current owner named Yoshioka-san is an acquaintance of mine. And I met him while waiting outside the Egakan, which we've talked about mm. many, many times here. One of my favorite places, the Egakan Jazz Cafe, which was not open uh, when he said it would be open, uh, because you can never trust the opening hours that are online for the jazz joints. So I was standing out there, and this Japanese guy just came up to me, and he said, Are you James? And I was like, Yeah. And he said, oh, hello, I'm, I'm Mr. Yoshioka. Um, you know, I've heard about you. You're the guy that goes around, like, uh, you know, writing about jazz keys at then, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that is me. I guess there's no other foreign, foreign dork doing that. Yes, the celeb for a very small audience. Uh, so we started chatting, and uh, and he was like, yeah, I don't think he's coming today. Um, but uh, you want to go to another cafe that my friend owns? And I was like, yeah, sure. And that's how I learned about Kisa Sakaiki, which we've often talked All about right. as well. Yeah, which, yeah. Is, uh, which is in Yonsu. Yoshioka-san is a good friends with the owner there. So at the time, Yoshioka-san was working for the Tor Coffee Shop in the marketing department as a regular salary man. Um, totally not interested in it. And, um, you know, we'd kind of lost touch. And then one day I get a mail saying that, like, he's taken over this cafe in Seijo Gaku in my called Cafe Buhlmann's. So he quit his job took over the cafe from the previous owner and very slowly started adding j CDs and jazz records <laughs> to the place. And um, it transformed into a jazz cafe. He still makes cakes and has a lot of specialty teas, but certainly the customer base has, has been altered. Um, and then he even started having live gigs there. Now, the picture that, Philip, that you took of the main room um, to the left of that is a sort of a little sub chamber where you can have space for like a band. And so he has live music there very, very often. Um, and including occasionally quite some heavy free jazz type stuff too. So a very unusual spot for a lot of reasons, location, uh, the decor, the background story, um, but a fairly new addition uh, to the jazz Kisaten world in Tokyo. So I, I was so thrilled that, you know, he took it over and uh, Yoshioka-san is only about our age. So hopefully he's going to be open another 20 or 30 years. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it uh, when I went. Obviously, I introduced myself uh, said that we were friends you know he knew about the project and we had a good chat uh, there were a couple of customers i think in that little alcove so i wasn't able to photograph it um uh, and like you say it has that kind of salon dining room type feel to it there's a sort of a french bistro vibe uh, with those chairs and so on but uh, gorgeous spot and you can see that uh, experience in marketing clearly because 
Uh, please do go check out Cafe underscore Buellmans on Instagram and give them a follow, give them a like. Uh, they post regularly uh, and you can see often there are posters that uh, Yoshioko-san creates for uh, the very regular gigs that they do there. So uh, once things are up and running again and so on, get yourself down there and check out one of the gigs as well. He also does some lovely photographs of his walks uh, that he shares on that Instagram account too. So really it's a win-win situation if you go and have a look at those photos too. But I really enjoyed uh, that afternoon I spent in Buellmans. He did a mean cake as well. I had a really nice piece of cake with my coffee too. So You um, know, I think he had to actually learn how to bake cakes when he took the place over because it, the, apparently the cafe was famous for their cakes ooh, okay. and he didn't have any idea of like, what, what should he do? Should he order them? So I think he actually learned to bake them himself on site. Annoying, isn't it, when someone's good at everything? <laughs> anyway, so James, that brings us back to Tokyo, um, uh, where we, we, we probably feel most at home. I mean, literally, for you, it was home for, for many years. Um, and obviously for me, uh, no longer, unfortunately, although plans are afoot to get back uh, next year uh, and carry on and add further to the project. In the meantime, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to park ourselves in Tokyo and then over the next few weeks, we're going to be recording six or seven episodes that are going to be documenting our trip around Hokkaido and Kyushu. Just to give you some context of that trip I was there for about three and a half weeks and I think I was able to add a total of 40 new places to the project, the majority of which uh, are now on the site and certainly by the end of the podcast, uh, all of those places will also be up on the website. So in the meantime, um, please do have a look through the site. It's tokyojazzjoints.com. If you're ever looking for a particular place, you can find it under the joints tab. Uh, They're all organized there alphabetically. Or uh, failing that, you can simply put in tokyojazzjoints.com forward slash and then just put the name of the place in that you're looking for straight after that and it should take you right to the page. If it's two names at Cafe Buemans, just stick a hyphen in the middle. Uh, And of course, then also check us out on uh, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook where we share everything uh, simultaneously uh, and um, please give us a like, please give us a follow. And thanks, as always, for all your listens. We're careering towards uh, 50,000, James. Hopefully we'll get up there by Christmas, which would be a nice present well, for both of us. Well, you know, I think if we if we add some more, you know, commentary on the, uh, the local ecology of deer life in Japan, as we did in this episode, I think we may uh, be able to boost those numbers just a bit. You I know? think there's a podcast that already stuff. covers that. Okay, so with that in mind... I'll say goodbye and just see you next week, buddy. And can I just remind you that I hate you? (laughs) Take it easy. Ciao. 